Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 145 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And you might find that this recording of the intro and outro is slightly different sound to usual. And that's because I'm on holiday and using, haven't got my normal microphone. So apologies if it's not the normal quality. So today I'm interviewing Stephen Thomas. And Stephen was recommended to me by Richard Smith of episode 138. And Stephen says, hi there. I'm Coach Stephen, and I'm here to help you on your journey to optimal health with a BSc ONS in physiology and health sciences, as well as a background in sport and conditioning science and the psychology aspects of athletic development. I have the knowledge and skills to give you the tools you need to succeed. Also, as a specialist practitioner in obesity and diabetes and qualified phlebotomist, I've helped countless people achieve their health goals. My qualifications as a phlebotomist give me the knowledge and skills to draw blood safely and efficiently, while my specialist practitioner status in obesity and diabetes means that I have the expertise to help manage these conditions. And with over 500 five-star reviews on Rivero and Facebook and around 100 video success stories on my website and YouTube channel, I'm confident that my approach to eating gets results. Personally, I had to say goodbye to my high-carb, skim milk, orange juice lifestyle. Despite 50 years of not smoking or drinking, working out three times a week and running three times a week, I still found myself fat, pre-diabetic, needing a colonoscopy and with a CAC score of 639. But with the right approach, you too can achieve optimal health. Welcome, Stephen, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute honor. I'm really, really, really pleased to be here, actually. Excellent. So we always start with where in the world are you? Well, I'm in the UK. Uh, I'm in Derbyshire, which we call the Midlands because it's right in the middle of England, about as far away from the sea as you can possibly get in every single direction. (laughs) But there's some nice countryside, some nice views and lots and lots of um, farmers around here. So I get lots of good, fresh meat. Lovely. Mm. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your journey and how you came to, well, you're carnivore, aren't you? how you came from where you were to where you are now. Yeah, that's good. We'll start from A then and we'll go right to B. So um, I'll start when I was growing up as a teenager. I was very interested in fitness and playing tennis and soccer uh, or football, as it's properly called here in uh, in England. And um, I was a high-carb advocate. I was really seriously into into fitness i was the school 800 meter record holder and then i went on to be a semi-pro football player soccer player and i won a singles tournament in tennis and did bodybuilding and i believed totally in no fat eating things like skim milk and cereals and freshly squeezed orange juice and lots of fruit and lots of veg i'd lost my parents when i was young um they also had lots of bran and skim milk and um, all that sort of stuff. And my mum died of colon cancer, even though she didn't have any red meat and she certainly didn't have lots of fatty foods. So um, maybe that should have been an alarm bell for me, but it wasn't because I looked pretty good when I did my bodybuilding show, you know, it was great. It's 23. I went to gold's gym in 
uh, in the States and, you know, Venice Beach and all that. I was a real poser, thought I knew it all. I can remember opening up Muscle, Muscle and Fitness magazine and seeing that some bodybuilders were going to use a high fat diet. And I can remember completely dismissing that completely out of hand. Okay, so there's nothing beats getting older and and realizing actually you got it all completely wrong. And that's what happened to me. So I continued to be really sporty. I became a personal trainer. Uh, I did stunts in films. I did fight scenes. Um, I did uh, stuff on TV. I did adverts and all these sort of things. Uh, but I really like fitness. And so I trained as a personal trainer and then I advanced, uh, got into an advanced personal trainer um, situation in my forties. I trained a javelin thrower for the Olympics. So I was really getting there, but with all this knowledge, I was getting tubbier mm -hmm. and I was getting to not be happy with how I looked. I didn't think my performance was particularly good. I wasn't gaining any muscle. It was just, I was just stagnating basically. So um, I then decided to do other qualifications. I like being qualified. I like knowing what I'm talking about. So I became a specialist practitioner in obesity and diabetes. And that's when I started to look at carbohydrates differently, especially when we were doing diabetes, even though they constantly were not saying carbohydrates are the bad guys. All of the insulin dosage, every time we were talking about insulin or dosing medications, it was always in relation to carbohydrate intake. And I was the guy that was, because I was from outside, I wasn't from a medical background, I would be putting my hand up and saying, well, that means surely we'd lower the carbohydrates. That makes more sense, doesn't it? Then we have less medicine because they all looked at me like I was from a different planet. <laughs> and then I decided to do an honours degree in physiology and health sciences. And the more I'm, I learned, the more I realised that, what I was doing was really bad for my body and I'm condensing a fair few years here. And I also qualified as a phlebotomist. So when I did my own bloods, lo and behold, I was pre-diabetic. My testosterone was tanking. I was in my forties, like I say, getting plump. And then I had lower left quadrant pain. So going back to what happened to my mum with her colon cancer, I thought, well, this is it. It's all genetics, isn't it? It's all genetics. It's not diet. Yeah. Um, so I was sitting in the hospital there thinking this is it. I'm going to get colon cancer. Uh, luckily, it was clear when I did the colonoscopy that that was all right, but the, the pain was still there. That was really bad. Then I had a coronary artery calcium scan of 639. So I was in absolute state, and I realized, wow. even though I was the poster boy for the food guidelines and the low fat, don't have any salt, don't have any, any red meat, make sure you eat lots of fruit and veg, which I did. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I was absolute state when it comes to health i mean i had athlete's foot i had a big uh sort of spot stress spots on my forehead like someone had got a big strawberry and whacked it against my head so um i was a state i really would I, I was yeah unhealthy so i decided to take the plunge when i got to 50 to really look around and i decided on low carb so that thing that was intuitive when i was learning about diabetes i, I took to heart um you might smile when I say that the biggest influencer at that point for me was Eric Berg. I thought he was very interesting. Um, I learned a lot about low carb. Um, I'm still not going to knock him. I think there's a place for what he does. And um, I, I tried low carb. And of course, everything pretty much started to get better. So the athlete's foot was not as bad. The, the spot wasn't as bad. Um, I did my bloods. I wasn't pre-diabetic. Everything was going the right way. I was losing a little bit of weight. And then, of course, you do the obvious thing. You think, well, if this amount of carbs has um, improved things by dropping it to this amount, maybe if I dropped it even further and did keto, that would be even better. And of course, it was. And then I started to learn about... Um, plant defenses and lectins and all that sort of, um, you know, anti-nutrients basically in plants. Yeah. And I thought, well, there's a few things still hanging around. So maybe I should take out the plants and see how well I do. So when I got to age 55, uh, I joined MeetRx, which is, you know, Sean Baker's um, platform, which is now Revero, did the training there, became an, uh, an online fasting and carnival coach. And my own health just really improved. And an interesting experiment I did at 55, when I went carnivore, within three months, my testosterone had gone up 30%. Wow. And, you know, at 55, that's pretty much unheard of. So that was 
that was amazing. Uh, and then when I got to 57, 58, you know, um, in the middle of the year, basically my birthday's in May, um, I gained nine pound of muscle in a year. And I, and I couldn't believe that at that age, and I'd been a bodybuilder in the past. It was the easiest, which is uh, in inverted commas, because you still got to put the work in. You still got to lift heavy things, a lot of fatigue. Um, but it was still the easiest nine pounds of muscles I have ever gained. So a complete convert to, to carnival. Here I am. Uh, three weeks time, I will be 59. So four years carnivorsary will be then. And I've not looked back. And obviously... I've now got lots of clients that are also seeing the benefits from eating this way. And it's been absolutely amazing. It's been incredible. I met great people. Um, Richard Smith, who um, recommended that I speak to you, you know, is, is absolutely brilliant down there, the Keto Pro. So I'm, I'm not anti the offshoots like Ketovore or Keto. If people want to be ketogenic, um, even low carb. I mean, if people are looking to improve their health, it all starts with that one small step of looking at what they're eating and um, kind of what has been amazing. So that's that's my journey. I don't do any of the media stuff now, the filming and the TV. That's all way past. I don't play any team sports anymore. I don't play tennis anymore. Um, and that's just because I haven't got time. But I'd, I'd love to get back into those sort of things. Um, don't run. Don't do any cardio. No. And, and it's amazing how people think that you have to do cardio and you have to put yourself in an anaerobic zone to lose weight, but actually you don't really. And I think people tend to over exercise. So what exercise are you doing? What do you, what do you focus on now? Is it just um, resistance training, weightlifting? Yeah. I mean, I, I got turned on to the X3 bar, which is resistance bands, but the sort of resistance bands, with a lot of thought gone into them. So I, I tend to use the X3 bar and that is a push pull type of system. So uh, one day I will be doing push exercises. So that's like, you know, chest press, which you do standing, you have the, the, the band around you and you push into your chest. And then the next day I'll do a pull exercise like rowing is, is pulling. I've just finished an experiment. So if people are saying, well, he's not particularly muscly, um, that's because I deliberately didn't train for six months. So last August, I wanted to see how easy or difficult it was to get back into training. Because one of the things that a lot of clients say to me is, well, it's all well and good. You talking about this, but you've trained all your life. Yeah. And there's no, I can't go back in time and not train for a few years to see how it is. So I deliberately, at, you know, age 58 thought well i'll have a six month break which has been horrendous i've hated it i have missed training um and see how difficult it is to get back into it and what gains or what problems i have and i i i would have to say it's all about habit and i i say this ever such a lot when people see um i did a hundred look on youtube i did a hundred squats for 100 days, and this is what happened. Uh, I did uh, 100 press-ups for 100 days. This is what happened. I always say it isn't the press-ups or the squats. It's the habit. And I think if you get into a good habit of any sort of exercise that, you know, it involves pushing yourself to fatigue and short explosive movements, you're going to get some results. And I think that's the biggest thing. So the thing I've struggled with is not having it as a habit. So whereas before it was part of my day, it's now I've, because I've not done it for six months, I've lost that sort of time. So I'm now, oh, I've got to X3 today. I've got to fit that in. Like today, I haven't trained yet because I've been busy and doing lots of, uh, you know, this sort of stuff and coaching. I haven't trained today. Well, that never used to happen. And the reason I'm sort of expanding on that is because that's the same with this way of eating or with anything in life. You've got to have good habits. Once it becomes a habit, once you've repeated it and repeated it and repeated it, it becomes second nature to you. And it's so much easier when it's a habit. So um, that's what I've learned. I've tried to take that into my coaching when I'm when I've said to people, you want to exercise and you want to do some strength training, try and be a bit fresh and new to it and uh, remember, oh, wow, yeah, you've got to find the time and you've got to find a regular time that's that's easy for you to fit into and then stick to it. And before you know it, 90 days later, it will be just like putting on your favourite jumper or something. It'd just be so easy. 
So when you're working with clients and and just focusing on the exercise for a minute, do mm-hmm. do you get them to do that every day, or no. is it a no. certain yeah? So how many times a week? Well, I mean, it's normally like three times, three to four times, and I tend to ask them to do no more than twenty minutes. Um, because if you're working to fatigue and it's only four exercises, you know, then you're going to get the benefits. Many people spend hours and hours in the gym, but they don't do anything effective because they're not working to fatigue. And if you're in there for an hour, uh, you're not working to fatigue. So um, where I used to live, we've been in this new place for about a year and a half, but where I used to live, um, where I worked out was actually down some stairs and on the long leg day, I couldn't walk up the stairs for five minutes. I'm, you know, absolutely shot to pieces. I'm, and I'm not saying work out until you injure yourself, but you do need to get to the point where you cannot do another rep. You physically can't. Eat. So it's a partial rep is acceptable. So if you're doing a bicep curl and you can still move your arms up, well, they're, they're still counting. But once you can't even move your arm at all, then you're fatigued. That's when you stop. Yeah. And with the X3 bar, is it hard to learn how to do? No, there's one of the easiest bits of kit I've ever. It's expensive. That would that would be the downside. It is expensive and it's difficult to get in the UK. It's easier in the States. Um, but a gym membership is really expensive. So is driving to the gym. So is parking. So is, you know, the whole paraphernalia of going to the gym. And obviously in the last three years, we've learned that that can be inconsistent. You know, you're not in control of the space or the availability of space of those machines. So the X3, you know, this is the the thickest band I've got, which is the elite band, which is what I do my chest press with. I mean, that really is quite a tiny bit of equipment. So even if I was going away, I could put my four bands in a bag. I'm not an affiliate of the X3, by the way. I'm not on commission. No, no, no. It's been a brilliant bit of kit. And, um, you know, I I can't speak highly enough of it. I'm not saying that it's perfect for everybody. And when people want to exercise, it's all about the goal. If someone wants to be a good runner, then you don't have to recommend the X3 because they want to run. Uh, If someone wants to be good at tennis, then the best thing to do is play tennis. I mean, so I'm very much into training for a specific reason and and making sure that the program fits the person. So to answer your question, because we've gone the long way around, um, I always say, when can you train? So I'm not into this, what's the ideal time to train? Because scientifically, it might be whatever it is. But um, if if you can't train at that time, that's irrelevant. The best time to train is when you can do it. I mean, that's great. So if most people can fit three to four sessions in a week, and, and that's fine. If they can't, then, um, you know, two times a week is better than zero times a week. So you just do what you can and don't overtrain that's that's the main thing and there's lots of lots of science with biopsies of muscles where actually when you're trained to fatigue you don't need so many sets you don't need so many reps you don't need to be doing it um, hours and hours if your mental well-being is dependent on you training that's a different kettle of fish so i do get people that say oh, i love it at the gym i just love the social side of it i like talking to people i want to go i want to go and spend an hour and a half in there well if that's fine. There's no um, no real rules, actually, how you live your life. Because if I said, well, you only need to train for 10, 15 minutes and that makes you miserable, you're not going to you're not going to keep doing it. No. So that's the other thing. And I think um, when I was at Meteor X, Sean Baker tried the X3, didn't like it because he's a volume sort of guy. He loves just training. He wants to do more and more and more. He thought it was a great bit of kit. But I knew that he would want to also be chucking medicine balls around and sitting on the rower and all this sort of stuff. So you have to also accept what the person wants out of it. But if you're looking at the hard science of like gaining some muscle and, um, you know, muscle mass is correlated to longevity, um, you don't have to spend hours and hours doing it. You, as long as you work hard three times, four times a week, 20 minutes, you, you should be all right. Yeah, because I've heard about the X3 several times. I, in fact, maybe a year or two years ago, I looked into it. But not being an exerciser, I thought, I'm not going to know what to do. I'm not going to be able to implement it because I'll feel like I won't know what to do. Um, but I, I've heard I heard about it again recently, and I thought, yeah, maybe I need to look into it again. So 
Yeah, I mean, I do offer online training packages. I mean, I don't do these things to to sell programs. I, I just talk. But um, I mean, I've just had somebody sign up to do a, a training program. They they don't want to use the X three. You can use dumbbells, kettlebells. You can use anything, and. Uh, all my programs just have illustrations of every exercise. It's so simple to exercise um, with that program. It's pretty inexpensive as well, and it's it's tailored for you. So you, literally, you know, they click on their day's workout, and there's somebody going, you know, you need to do 30 of these, or you need to do 30 of these. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, so don't be um, put off by people making it harder than it really needs to be because it really isn't There's some very basic exercises, compound exercises, which just means, you know, moving all, all the joints as as many joints as possible, basically. So it, it is pretty simple and straightforward to, to get into exercising. Yeah. I've been doing the smart training. Have you heard that by Dr. Ben Bicciccio? Yes. Yes. Uh, attainable and realistic and time framed and all that. Yes. The smart training. Yeah. So I've, I've been doing that. So, um, I just do that twice a week and it's around 20, 25 minutes yeah. working, working the muscles to fatigue. Yeah. 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 It's good. Excellent. So when you're working with clients, do you, do you go straight in on carnivore or are you seeing where they want to go? And how, how does that work when you're working with people? Well, as as my name is the UK Carnivore, and, and my website is uh, the UK Carnivore, and my podcast, the Carnivore Experience, I do tend to get people booked because they're interested in carnivore. Uh, I wasn't even flipping there, and that, that is what happened. So most people are pretty much interested in carnivore when they come to me. Um, but occasionally I'll get people that um, are a little bit reticent to it and want to they've not actually made the leap and they're not even low carb or keto and they'll just be on the standard American diet or vegan or vegetarian. And I will talk to them about what they want to do and how they feel and why they're eating the way they were eating and why they've booked me. And, you know, I'm very open to the way I did my journey. So transitioning into carnivore took me years from low carb keto and that, but some people want to do it a bit quicker. So I, I will actually just listen to the person, listen to their social situation because they might have a family or everybody that just doesn't want to change. That's, that's quite common. Yep. It's normally, normally the female of the family wants to get their health together, but their husband doesn't want to do it yet or the kids don't want to do it yet. So we talk about how's the best way to do this. So it's, it's not impactful on your social situation and it's a realistic way to eat. And I think that's, that's really important because, you know, your life is important. Your social life is important. Your relationships, your family, where you work, for instance, you've got to factor those in. But I think I just like sort of baby steps for people. When we talk about seed oils, taking them out, refined grains, anything in a box, you know, anything that's processed, artificial sweeteners. Um, there's, there's so many different things that we talk about. Um, but like I say, because of what I am and because of, the fact that I'm a coach that does carnivore, I do tend to get people that are pretty much already convinced that that's what they want to try. Yeah. If somebody isn't like, say for myself, that's not carnivore, but very low carb most of the time, how do, how do we take the next step? Is it just saying, right, no, no vegetable, no plant material at all, or, is there is there a, is there a way in? And the reason I'm saying this is because I've tried carnivore a few times. I say I'm going to do it for about thirty days, and two weeks in, I'm pulling my hair out. I'm feeling. I'm not going to say depressed. I'm feeling hard done by. I would say, I'm missing things like olives and and a square of chocolate and a piece of cucumber. There's not a lot that you know. It's not as if I want to eat donuts or anything like that but it's it's some plant material it's i feel like i need it how do i get from where i am now to trying carnivore for 30 days full-on well my question would be why are you thinking about going to carnivore what what in your current diet is not enough for you that you're thinking about and doing it 
Okay. So um, I've been keto, low carb keto for six years now. And I have got to this place and I'm going to say weight, but it's, it's body size as well, mm-hmm. where I'm not shifting. Now I know for the last couple of years, part of it is because I keep coming off plan, but so I'll go back up and I come back down again, but I still keep staying in the, in the same place. And I just like to drop another 14 pounds, another stone, something like that, seven kilos. And, and it's not happening. And, and I feel like, well, maybe there's something, maybe I need to change something up and I just don't know what that something is. So, yeah. So if you're looking at your diet and thinking you need to change something up because you're getting the same results and they're not the results you want, then it does make sense to look at carnivore. If you don't dive in to full carnivore and you keep going back and having more carbs, you're not giving it a fair crack of the whip. And this is one of the things that is very difficult to get across to people. If you never try it, you'll never know how good it could be. Mm. You're having cravings for things that you used to eat. That's normally a sign of not eating enough. So that would be the first thing I would say is to have a tactic for when you want olives or when you want uh, some some veg to have some carnivore food to replace it. So you replace that craving with, with, with carnivore food. And you should find that that, simple hack actually works so like the square of chocolate is interesting because last year i did an experiment where i deliberately put on weight so i could lose it and i put on 27 pounds and i only included three things extra and dark chocolate was one of those things wow what were the other two then i knew you'd ask that yogurt (laughs) yeah and uh caffeinated coffee so my tea and chocolate might be Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I mean, caffeine can be problematic because it's a banned substance in many sports because it is a stimulant. And how does it stimulate? Well, it it attaches to the adrenals and that will push up blood glucose. And because it's an adrenal response, a stimulant like that, the physics of it or the physiology of it, I should say, is that your body wants the blood glucose to go up. So there's a moment where your body is temporarily insulin resistant, because if you had a fight or flight response that didn't do that, what would happen is you wouldn't have a fight or flight response because you'd see a tiger, your blood glucose would go up to make you run or fight, but it would all go into the cells because the insulin response would be that quick. So you have to have that temporary sort of insulin resistant moment where your blood glucose is allowed to go up and not um be brought down dramatically by by the insulin so you get the proper fight or flight response from ca- from caffeine uh, as a stimulant so that's why for some people caffeine can trip you up and stall you it's also a vehicle for heavy cream for many people as well so you have this double whammy effect of not only is it coffee not only is it a stimulant not only is it pushing your blood glucose up but it's also um having a lot of cream and if you're having three or four cups a day that could be problematic because dairy is you know the odd chain fatty acids and that also goes to the liver to make or the last three carbon fragment goes off to the liver to make blood glucose so you've got this double whammy in coffee if you're having cream in it and that can actually stall you as well so getting if i if you were a client you see i would get to know these things and you seem to smile when we talked about coffee and we talked about chocolate so maybe it isn't that you need to go carnival or maybe it's you need to take them out yeah i i i don't drink a lot of coffee i have two to three cups of tea a day and that's caffeine. That's yeah, caffeine. yeah agreed and but with what if i'm having cream it'll be one one teaspoon of cream and if i'm having milk it'll be three teaspoons it's about 10 grams of whole milk if i'm having milk so it's you know i'm not having huge amounts but like you say it might be too much and i have gone through phases where i've cut um tea out completely and i'm only drinking water um but i haven't noticed any massive differences so yeah it's really interesting um so when you tell us a bit about how you eat in terms of carnivore are you completely dairy free then no not at all um it depends how i want my body composition to be or and how my life wants to be so my my um work life balance for want of a better word is i still eat for some enjoyment uh, which i know many 
kind of was frowned upon. But I enjoy, for instance, burger patties with some cheese on. I, I like that. So uh, I actually am still a foodie. So I will have a little bit of dairy. Now, if I felt my composition wasn't going the right way, my body composition, well, dairy would go. It's really that simple. So it's an informed choice, knowing that dairy is the thing that stalls me. Um, and the reason I included yogurt, by the way, is because I really like yogurt, but I like it too much. And this is the thing. Once you get something that you want to eat too much of, um, that can be problematic, and especially as it's dairy. It's very difficult to eat too much ribeye because it's so satiating, but it's very easy to eat too much yogurt because it isn't satiating, even if it's, you know, full fat, um, which, which is what I was eating. So I think I'm quite open. I mean, I, I do a lot of videos on my YouTube channel of what I eat in a day and people will always comment, Oh, you eat a lot of cheese. You eat a lot of fish. You know, there's a lot of variety there. And well, that's fine. I mean, that's what I'm all about. I think if you can eat a variety and feel happy with how you look and your health and it's not causing you problems, that's great. If you have an autoimmune condition that is really making you struggle, then that's where carnivore really comes into its own because the elimination part of the diet is just so good. So you could do the lion diet. You could just do beef, salt and water, see what happens, prove the concept actually that food is giving you the big problems. So in the last year I've, I've, done um, success stories for two people that uh, a man and a female uh, who both reversed their ms and bipolar and it was all down to eating fatty meat well that's that's massive and then once the ms has gone you could introduce more foods to see you know what what you can eat and what is what is causing the flare-ups and i think you know, it's categoric. Uh, the last interview I did was only a couple of weeks ago. And she said, you know, on the MRI, there's absolutely no traces of MS at all. There's none. It's completely gone. And it's all from eating fatty meat, even though she was told categorically. So there's, you know, there's proof that um, this way of eating can be really good. Now, she might not have got there if she was sort of carnivore. You know, that that's the thing I would yeah. say. If it was carnivore with, you know, maybe some leeks in there and the other eggplant or something, um, she might never have got there at all. And for less extreme cases, let's say you have, you know, just fatigue, general fatigue, for instance, or gut issues, and you eliminate and you, you do like the lion diet or you do quite strict carnivore and everything just gets better, then you could start reintroducing things. You might, let's say you did kind of all without any eggs and you thought, well, maybe the eggs were problematic. I've taken all the veg out and that seems to have held, but I've also taken eggs out. You could then put eggs back in or you could put yolks back in or whites back in and you can just be really forensic and see what actual foods are good for you and what, are, what foods are playing you up. So I occasionally do that. I, I try something that I used to eat a lot and see if I can cope so tennis was a big thing for me. And what I used to do with all the professional tennis players did in between games was have a little bit of a banana. So I tried banana, uh, or, you know, not just tried banana one day and the itchy skin came back the next day. Yeah. Really <laughs> quick response. I, I guess yeah. if you've taken everything out, when you start to, when you reintroduce it, you will, quickly notice if there's if there's a response yes yes and that's it i mean but the thing is uh if i i haven't eaten pork belly for a long long time if i eat pork belly tomorrow i won't get a response it, it's always the fruit or the veg yeah always if you're carnivore do you need to eat more than twice a day or can you still eat just twice a day the reason i'm asking is are you eating too much protein in one go how does how does a day look like for you in terms of eating yeah well that's a good question and i, I think that's based on that common myth that you can eat too much protein in one sitting i mean i've got a study where uh, they've looked at people eating um 20 grams i think four times a day or 100 grams in one sitting and the outcome actually was the 100 gram of protein in one sitting was was better had better responses uh, i know that's a really vague sentence better but all the markers that they were looking at seemed to like protein synthesis was was more pronounced with the with the 100 grams you got more bang for your buck basically um 
But I tend to not get into the nuance of all that, really. I'm a great believer in eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. And there are some people out there that are great and they love having four meals a day uh, because they feel that's the best way that they can eat and get enough protein in. Um, Certainly people that train and looking to build muscle feel that one meal a day, they just can't eat enough. Uh, So they try two meals a day. Sometimes that's not I would have food to me today. So I'm very much into how it's into somebody's life rather than here's my checklist. You should follow these rules because um, I naturally gravitate to, to two meals a day by just organically that that happens because of work. And uh, so for today, I had four burger patties with cheese and five eggs scrambled to start the day. And I've just had, uh, I've just had liver, lamb's liver, you know, with steak. That's my two meals. Yeah. Lovely. And, and I'm not a big fan of pushing organ meats either. That was just coincidental. Today I had lamb's liver because when I was in the butchers, it, it was cutting up some lamb's liver. It looked really good, and I just said I'll have some of that. Now, if you're on a tight budget, that's that's a really good, um, it's a really good tip because that was just a pound for this big chunk of liver. And the other thing, when you talk about organ meats and budgeting, for instance, if you can get heart, that's that's pretty tasty and that's really inexpensive as well. So not only do I look at what's realistic for the person's life, how can they fit in two meals a day, three meals a day, how can they get the food in that they need to, but also about budget. Yeah. So I'm not one of these snobs where it would be great if we could all the food afford um, grass-fed you know wonderful pasture-raised food but it's not it's not practical for some people certainly in this current economic um, situation so things like ground beef are really good the fattier the better Um, and and even things like sausages if you can get a sausage that's you know a high percentage of meat like 97 percent if your budget is really tight then that's that's still good and obviously eggs are really good so um, not only and I'm not prescriptive about the amount of times you eat, but also uh, about what you what eat you as well. Mm. Yeah. So do you find personally for you that you have a selection of foods as in, and we, you mentioned fish before, but would you have um, maybe some seafood? Do you, do you try and mix it up quite a bit or do you focus primarily on beef? For you personally, <laughs> um, for you personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love ribeyes, and I didn't eat a ribeye until I was 55. I've never even seen one, actually, to be honest. So um, I I do love a good ribeye, and and pork belly is fantastic. Um, I don't deliberately go out of my way to have variety, but before age 50, I was allergic to fish. So when I was bodybuilding, my training partner used to have tuna and rice, you know, the bro diet sort of thing. And I had chicken with rice. Um, but I was very jealous that he could have his tuna with rice because it's a good source of protein. And I couldn't eat it. I was hospitalized with reactions to fish. But those allergies have gone. And therefore, because I spent 50 years wanting to eat fish, as soon as I was able to eat fish, I, I started to do it with um, gusto, really. I really enjoyed it. So whenever I eat sea bass or I have salmon or I have uh, freshly caught tuna, um, I savor it because it's just like, wow, for 50 years I wanted to eat this and now I can. So that's, that's another thing. Your palate can change and also your allergies can change because when you're eating this more species appropriate diet, it does seem that your allergies change or they completely go, which I wasn't expecting. So I don't have a, a set idea of what I'm going to eat. And also I think it's one of these strange things where people say it's restrictive. Well, it certainly isn't actually. I eat more variety now than I've ever eaten. When I was high carb, it was uh, porridge in the morning or oatmeal as the Americans call it, skimmed milk, bit of fruit, freshly squeezed orange juice every single morning. Yep. And I thought that was great. And obviously it wasn't my, my health went south. And then I would have, uh, I just have basically the same things over and over again. And it's not as tasty, not as delicious, not as full of variety as, as I'm eating now. And and it's just my health is so much better. It's incredible. Yeah. For those people listening, Stephen looks 20 years 
younger than he is. And he's, I asked him how old he was, and he's got his born on his t-shirt, born 1964. But I still asked him how old he was because I wasn't noticing his t-shirt. But I, you know, I said to you offline, you look like you're in your 40s. You look amazing. Your skin is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 50, 59 in a few weeks, but it's down to good lighting. <laughs> Maybe you've got that special Zoom setting on. <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> so do you find that you talk about diabetes um, and how you're helping people and wherever you want to go with it? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the things I'm really proud of being a specialist practitioner in obesity and diabetes and um, managing your blood glucose is, is particularly interesting because you can measure it now with your continual glucose monitor and you can see the foods that are problematic and the foods that are good, which is when I started um, the studies that that wasn't the case. And a lot of what I was told um, was was patently not true once we started to see glucose meters. So I can remember being told, oh, a diabetic's got to eat first thing because their blood sugar is going to be low. It's going to be terribly low. They need to push their blood sugar up, so they must eat. I don't know why I did that voice, but that was <laughs> how they sort of said it to me. Um, and, of course, that isn't true. In fact, most diabetics are worried about the dawn phenomena and the fact that their blood glucose is high when they wake up. Uh, so the worst thing you could possibly do is actually stuff some more carbohydrates into your mouth. So um, when people come to me, they tend to be very frustrated that they have found something on the Internet, not me, but They've, they've heard something or they've seen someone reverse their type 2 diabetes and they weren't told this information. And they've been doing small, uh, frequent meals, you know, lots of carbohydrates, lots of um, grains, you know, what a whole grain. What They say, well, I've got to eat whole grains. Well, if you eat a whole grain and you put it in your mouth, you'll be chewing for the rest of the day and all you end up with is a white pasty horrible sticky thing um, because of the gluten, basically. So whole grains are complete. Uh, misnomer actually um and and they will say you know do you think that i will be able to bring my blood glucose down well will the numbers come down well when i first started coaching and i was high carb no i didn't think that was possible because i didn't see it well now i've been doing this for many years absolutely this way of eating will bring your blood glucose numbers down absolutely 100 percent it happens and people get off their metformin. The quickest I've had is seven weeks that I wouldn't guarantee that, but I'm just saying that was the quickest I ever saw that. And it's obvious, isn't it? Because you're not, you're not spiking your blood glucose. You're not impacting on your insulin response. You're eating food that has lots of fats. So that takes a long time to in the small intestine to actually be absorbed. So that's not going to push your blood glucose up. And it's, satiating so you're not wanting to snack and you're not wanting to have this constant pushing blood sugar up really high and then it rocketing downwards so then you feel hungry at 11 o'clock then you've got to eat again da, 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 repeat so i think that's one of the things that's really good i also think that the phlebotomy side has been very helpful because about two years ago what um, was coming back was i can't believe it's even my blood glucose my average glucose monitor reading is, is brilliant. So let's use the American ring, uh, readings for now because that's I get more people in America than anywhere else. It was 80, but it was around the 80s all day, every day. But I've got my HbA1c and it's gone up. It makes no sense. And I said, you're absolutely right. It makes no sense because we're measuring your blood and your, or if you're doing a finger stick, actually, that's even better. We're measuring your blood and the sugar in there or blood glucose in there and we know that daily your average is lower than the HbA1c is, is um, showing. So uh, I started to, to look into that. And when I was trained to do the phlebotomy and when I got into it, if you're hemolytic, you're told to ignore your HbA1c because it's unreliable. A hemolytic person's red blood cells die earlier than they should. And because the HbA, HbA1c is a calculated reading, Mm -hmm. It's not a measured read. It's not a direct measurement. It's calculated on the assumption of how long your blood, red blood cells last. If they die early, you're going to have this artificially low HbA1c. So you have to ignore that and you have to look at blood glucose 
uh, fasted blood glucose, fasting insulin, C-peptide. Look at all these other markers because the HbA1c is misleading. So I thought, well, maybe the red blood cells are living longer. Mm-hmm. in carnivores there are tests actually to prove that that does happen and um the red blood cells do last longer and therefore you get this higher reading but it's irrelevant because it's based on a calculation that is assuming they don't live that long and your actual blood glucose is a better reading so the h i've done a video about this if people are interested only a five minute thing on my youtube channel so the hba1c is a little bit misleading when you're carnivore the biggest thing to look at is your daily blood glucose readings, your C-peptide, any fasting insulin, and that will tell you how you're doing. And that's just sort of got a lot more traction now. And I've seen people like Professor Ben Bickman talking about this, um, that your red blood cells can last longer. I think Dr. Paul Mason even talks about it now. But I think that's one of the things because I really enjoyed the diabetic side of things. And because I was doing the phlebotomy, I was really interested in the blood's so um, it all married nicely together. And the bottom line is people are getting off their metformin. They're having less insulin. They're needing less medications. And they're having less complications of diabetes. And that's got to be a good thing. It's wonderful. It's not good for the the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> <laughs> no. But, um, no. Yeah, they're trying to keep us eating all the stuff that will keep them, keep us sick. But we're trying to yes. get people to get healthy. We are. Yes. So when when you say you do phlebotomy, um, is that just the? Can you explain that a bit? Because under my understanding, it was just the taking of blood, but it sounds like that you're. Are you arranging for people to have blood tests and sending it away? How does it work? Well, that's what I think, yeah, that's what I used to do um, before the restrictions. So people would, uh, you know, come in. I'd do the blood draw. Then we'd send it off to the lab. The lab would analyze it. We'd get doctor's comments. And then um, that would be passed on to the patient. I, you know, I'd get the results and we'd go through those. And it's just, um, and we used to also be able to send stuff to your house. I don't I do not do that now because the restrictions have, have made that quite an onerous task and it's um, not cost effective. I don't like to pass on huge costs. So I was trained, so I, was, I could have gone into an NHS um department you know i was trained well enough to be able to go in there and take bloods but i don't do that um but the knowledge is there so i just pass on the knowledge of 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 what is the hba1c what does that actually mean and try to make it more common sense so i'm just taking the you know thousands of bloods that i've seen and interpreting um not on a page not like as a patient doctor patient relationship but just saying well, what the HbA1c is measuring your average, just giving them the facts, basically the information, so they know. So it's not it's not worrying. So look what I just said about the HbA1c when it's a bit high, and put it in context, and then they can go back to their doctor or whoever took the bloods, whichever labs they've gone to, and they're armed with a bit more knowledge, so they can ask you know pertinent questions with a bit more information rather than looking at these reference ranges which are not optimal health ranges. So if your bloods are slightly out of range, that does not mean that there's a problem. You have to look at the context. So if you've got slightly low folate, but you have got no symptoms, it's just you need to be aware of that a bit low. Do you want to pull that out or do you just want to yeah, um, see what happens, have another test in three months or whatever? So just give people the information for them to then go on back to their healthcare provider and or their doctor and say, right, okay, I've looked into this. I now know what ferritin is. So at least I know what I'm looking at. Can we talk about this? That sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And that's interesting that, that you were saying about the HbA1c because my HbA1c is often higher than I expected based on, you know, doing blood glucose in the morning. So you expect it to be lower, but actually it's, quite often higher than than i would have expected but if you're saying that it stays higher because your blood cells are lasting longer that it sort of makes more sense so that's yes. good um it's a good video i've got on my channel so i, I recommend you have a look at that yeah will you yeah send me the link and i'll put it in the show notes okay. um one of the things you said early on was your 
um, calcium artery scan, and it was mm-hmm. six hundred and something. Have you had it? Thirty-nine. Yeah. Have you had it retested since? No, the coronary artery calcium scan was 639. So when I had that done, by now I should be dead. I should have been dead about four or five years ago, looking at all the stats. And also when you plug my lipid numbers in, I, basically by the time I got the calculation, I should have been dead. Um, so that does show that sometimes sometimes the readings or what you're told about those readings are a little bit misleading. I haven't had it retested uh, again, I don't want to be boring, but because of the restrictions, there are now sort of such a big million plus patient waiting list in the NHS. I'm not going to take that machine up for a biohack until that waiting list has gone down. I know, you know, I actually paid for it as a private thing, but I just don't feel that I should be taking up that space when somebody who really needs it um, should be having that slot. So I'm going to wait and uh, but as soon as as soon as the waiting list is down, then I will definitely have a retest. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if it's yeah. come. It might just be the same, but at least it hasn't gone up. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, um, there's different ways of looking at it. I know uh, Ivor Cummins, uh, who was the person actually. I did a I did an interview with him, and he was the person that sort of got me interested in doing the CAC because that was a big thing that you know he was involved in. Um, He's always saying that uh, with this way of eating, you could either have some progression, but at least you've slowed it, looking at historically how much it would grow on, a, in, on an average case. So you slow the progression down, you um, just stop it progressing, or if you're lucky, you can reverse it. So there are people that have reversed it. Dr. Ford Brewer, I think, is somebody that does a lot of that sort of thing and shows the results and definitely seen reversing of the CAC score there by avoiding carbohydrates and um, eating more sort of animal-based proteins, those sort of things. Yeah, cool. Um, so, Stephen, is there any is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you would have liked to mention this evening? Well, there's about a million things because it's such a broad subject. But no, I think I think you know I've I've covered most of the basics that I'd like to get across. Brilliant. So maybe you'll tell us how people can get in contact with you. How you know you said your your website is UK Carnivore, but do all the bits, all the social media stuff, and tell people how they can contact you. Yeah, well, well the UK Carnivore. Uh, dot com is my website and i'm also the uk carnivore on instagram uh, i also have an app which you can get from the app store uh, or google play and you just have to look at the carnivore experience so uh, i'm pretty easy to find um if you want to email me it's zero carb coach at gmail.com perfect so now we're going to ask you for your three top tips could be anything that you maybe you've said before this evening or anything else okay well i do have a video on my channel i'm not trying to push my channel which is 19 tips but if i was to give you three tips first thing is is to cut out all the junk like seed oils and refined carbohydrates and sugars and artificial sweeteners that would be the first thing because if if you do that and don't change anything else in your diet you will be healthier that's the first thing secondly when you do come over to to carnivore don't under eat mm, it's a yeah. big thing that people um are worried about even if you're trying to lose weight or lose fat i should say make sure that you eat plenty of food because if you're one of those that struggles with cravings the biggest way to ruin your plans is to under eat and get those cravings back so make sure that you definitely don't under eat and i would also say don't worry about things like organ meats just eat what you like eat a variety of what you enjoy and just get yourself in there for at least 30 days really enjoy a carnivore don't do anything that's too prescriptive. Just enjoy it. Eat the carnivore foods that you like and do it for at least 30 days. And then I don't think there'll be any going back. Excellent. So I've been thinking about carnivore for quite a while. I, I always come back to it. And um, I think you've inspired me to give it another go. Yay. That's good. Good. I'm glad. Stephen, thank you for being with us tonight. 
That's okay. It's been a pleasure. It's really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. In the recording with Stephen, I mentioned smart training. And smart training was developed by Ben Bocciccio, also known as Dr. Bembo. And you can hear more about that in episode 96, where I interviewed Jeff Cotterman, because he bases his approach on Dr. Bembo's um, findings and exercise workouts. And it's the, the training that I'm doing to become a personal trainer and sports nutritionist. So in the SMART training, S stands for slow and allows for isolation and focused, mu- focused muscle loading. The MA ma, is maximum high level of demand. The R stands for response. It's the loading of the muscle through a range of motion to induce muscle failure. And the T stands for training, which means consistency and being or- organized. It's about doing it twice a week, 20 minutes, with two rest days between. Um, You work your large muscles first down to the smallest muscles and you're doing 45 to 120 maximum seconds per muscle slowly and continuously until you lose the correct form. This is another way of um, doing muscle training and muscle strengthening. Um, It's very short and sharp and you only need to do it twice a week which is what really appealed to me. After speaking to Stephen, I was inspired, as I mentioned in the interview, to do to try carnivore again. Um, so what I did was I mentioned in my Facebook group who fancied doing a 30-day carnivore challenge, and we set it up to start on the 22nd of May, and we just finished earlier this week. Stephen also came and spoke to the carnivore people who who were in the paid program. He came on Zoom and he spoke to the group about his journey and they could ask him questions. I don't think any of us could point out any massive changes. There have been changes and everybody has found something different that has changed. But what's interesting is that many of us have decided to continue for longer and myself included, there's something different. There's there's a different feeling for me. There's something different without being able to specifically say what that is. Um, so I definitely want to give it longer and see, you know, what changes. It was also interesting that Stephen said he put weight on when he included chocolate, yogurt, and coffee. And a few weeks ago, Viv Hamilton mentioned that her blood sugars went up with coffee and also had to cut out the caffeine. So it's very interesting how caffeine affects people differently and their blood sugars differently. So that's why we do need to test, even if it's not all the time, but test occasionally and see how things are affecting our blood. Um, For some, it's um, ketones. For others, it's blood sugar. See what's important to you. Anyway. If you want to find the show notes, they can be found at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 145. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. 
Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.